theme and the songs that we sang. And, uh, we're talking a lot about God's faithfulness, about how he is faithful, about how he is trustworthy, about how he does the things that he says that he's going to do. We're going to see that in Scripture as well. If you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 12 this morning. While you're turning to Genesis chapter 12, I've got a question for you I think will kind of help get us in the mindset of the sermon, of the text that we're going to see here, the, uh, the story of Abram continuing. Have any of you ever come up with a plan before? For whatever it is, um, there's something that you come up with a plan for, and then later down the road, you look back and say, how did I ever think that that was a good plan? Have y'all ever done that before? I mean, you had this plan, you think, yeah, this is going to be good, this is going to work, and then after it plays out, you say, how in the world did I ever think that was a good plan? We're going to see an instance of that. I believe Abram probably has that feeling a few verses into our text today. Look with me, beginning in verse 10, chapter 12. Abram, last week, God called him to leave his home country and most everything that he knew and to go into a different place. God takes him to Canaan and shows him uh, that this is going to, promises that this is going to be given to Abram's offspring. And then as he continues to travel through the rest of the country, we see today picking up in verse 10 what happens next. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now we'll stop for just a moment because I really want to make sure that we're all on the same page. When it says the land, it's talking about Canaan, right? God calls him to leave where he was, his homeland, and takes him to Canaan. When he gets to Canaan, God appears to Abram and says, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And so he continues, he's going through Canaan, he's spending time in this country that's going to be given to his offspring. God appears to him, he builds altars to God there. But while he's in Canaan, it's saying that while he was there in this land that God took him to, there becomes a severe famine in that land. So basically at this point, as far as our human minds can understand, he appears to have two choices. He can either stay in Canaan and possibly starve to death because of the great severe famine, or he can go somewhere else, which is the choice that he decides to make. So he goes to Egypt. Now look with me to see the, the challenges that he's going to deal with in Egypt, beginning in verse 11. It says, When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, this is, this is a very real concern for Abram. Abram and Sarah, if we think about their context here, this is the plan, by the way. This is his great plan. But if you think about their context, they're already outside of their home country. And now they're in a new country that's going to be their home country, Canaan, and they're even going to leave there and go to another country. They're going to be sojourners. They're going to be aliens. Now, in Egypt, they would have no rights. 
They would have no protection. They would have nothing to keep them safe. And Abram understood that. He understood, and in this day and time, being a foreigner in a land where you have no rights and no protection can be a very dangerous thing. Abram knew that there were concerns about going into Egypt. And now Abram and I have something in common. He has to worry about how beautiful his wife is and the issues that he's going to encounter with that, something I deal with on a regular basis. My wife is so beautiful that I have to worry about the ill effects that can come from my wife's beauty. Abram knew, listen, you are beautiful, Sarah, and when we go to Egypt, this is what's going to happen. They're going to say, she's beautiful, let's kill him and keep her. And I'm going to die. And so he says, here's the plan. Really, verse 13 is where we see it summed up. Say you're my sister. That way it'll go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. So this is Abram's grand plan. I know it doesn't sound like that great of a plan, does it? Doesn't sound like that great of a plan. May look even worse in just a little bit, but I want you to stop for just a moment and notice something here. There is a stark contrast in the first nine verses of this chapter, the introduction of Abram, and these verses that we've seen here. There is a huge contrast because in those first nine verses, we see God over and over and over. We see Abram listening to God. We see Abram following God. God God says, Abram, leave here and go there, so he does. We see uh, God giving promises to him. We see God speaking to him. And he, he's so excited that God appears and speaks to him that he builds the altar there, that he builds another altar. We see that verses 1 through 9 are saturated with Abram doing the things that God tells him to do. God being the one that has the plan and Abram following the plan. And then here, all of a sudden, in these verses, verses 10 through 13, there's this stark contrast where Abram is the one calling the shots. We're not seeing at this point, we haven't seen mentions of God. We haven't seen him consulting God. We haven't seen this being God's plan. We've seen this being Abram's plan. And that's a stark contrast in the life of Abram in the first nine verses when things were going well and then what we're going to see here. So how does this plan work out? The great grand plan. Look with me in verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So here we see that, I guess you can say in some ways that Abram was right. Right? I mean, you can, he at least knew what was going to happen. They see that Sarah's beautiful. They, see, they noticed it, and now to think about her being so beautiful that the princes of Egypt went to the Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh of all Egypt, the king of all Egypt, the one that they worshipped like he was a god. When they saw Sarah, they went back to Pharaoh to talk about how beautiful this woman was. Sarah must have been really, really beautiful. And so when that happens, they go, and what does he do? Pharaoh wants to bring her into his house to be one of his women. And so he does. And just like he said, just like Abram thought, he said, say that you're my sister so that it may go well with me. And it absolutely goes well with him in one instance anyways. And the, and the fact that he gets all sorts, of, he gets sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. All of these things are given to him on account of his sister. 
And so in that instance, in those ways, it seems that things, that Abram's plan might have worked out, at least on the worldly sense. It seems that it worked out. But do you think, brothers that are here today, do you think it's worth it to trade in your beautiful wife to be somebody else's wife in order to gain a bunch of camels and donkeys or cars or houses? I wouldn't make that trade. Not a good trade to me, right? It doesn't matter that he, that he gets all of these worldly possessions, that he gets all of these things. He loses his wife. She is gone. She is now Pharaoh's wife. He has lost his wife, and so it doesn't matter. I don't believe that this is really working out in his favor. And then what we see is the grand plan that should have taken place. Look in verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And so in my eyes, really, what this becomes now, right now, again, we see God stepping back into the picture. We see God bringing about his plan. And what I see here is a tale of two plans. We have Abram's plan to be protected and stay alive in Egypt, and we see God's plan to keep Abram protected and alive in Egypt. Now, Abram's plan is, I'll say that my wife is my sister, and she'll become another man's wife, and that's going to keep me alive. That's his great, grand, amazing plan. Now, here was God's great, grand, amazing plan. I'm going to step in, and I am going to make sure that anybody that does anything ill to Abram will immediately know that they've made a mistake. I am going to step in and I'm going to make sure that there is no one in all of Egypt, even the Pharaoh himself, that would be willing to harm this man of mine. And that's what he does. Abram's wife is taken. Pharaoh doesn't even know that he took Abram's wife, but because he took Abram's wife, because he's slighting or harming Abram in that way, God steps in and God immediately sends great plagues. That's all it says. It doesn't spell them out, but we see in the book of Exodus, right, we've seen what God sending plagues against the Pharaoh can look like. You can imagine because of what we've seen, God is very clear in his intervention that you have messed with the wrong person. And how does that work out? Pharaoh calls in Abram and says, man, why did you do this? Why didn't you just tell me the truth? Get out of here, go. And not only does he send him out, Pharaoh sends men with him to make sure that he has protection as he heads out of Egypt. Right? Pharaoh, whenever he sees God intervening on behalf of his servant Abram, he can't get rid of Abram fast enough. Get, take your wife and get out of here. That's how the plan was supposed to work out. That was God's plan. God's plan was, Abram, you don't have to lie. Abram, you don't have to say that Sarah is your sister. Abram, you don't have to give up your wife to be another man's wife. No, you go into Egypt, you journey into Egypt, and if anybody harms you in the slightest way, I will make sure and protect you in a way that they will never mess with you ever again. And we could ask the question... Right now that we see how terrible Abram's plan looks, and it really was a terrible plan. 
And we see how great God's plan looks, and it really was an amazing plan. Don't you agree? That's a great plan. Anybody messes with you, I'm going to deal with them. But we can ask the question, how could Abram have known that that was God's plan? Right? How could Abram, if only, if only Abram had have been leaving one country, going into another country like this, right? This same scenario. If Abram was leaving one country that he knew pretty well and going into another country as a foreigner where he wouldn't have rights or protections and God had promised this same thing, that, that God would be with him and that God would protect him. If only, if only God had said all of that to Abram, he would have known how this was going to play out. But it just so happens that that did happen. Look back at the beginning of this chapter, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's land to the land that I will show you. So there we go. Leave where you are. Go to another land where you'll be a foreigner without protection. And then listen to the blessings. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And listen. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And the way that that's written is extremely specific. There are two verbs in that phrase, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. The first one is dishonors, and it is a very light word. God says, if anybody slights you, if anybody harms you, if anybody has any ill intent toward you, it's very light, if they do anything negative toward you, and then he uses a different word for what God would do to them. He says, I will curse. And it's literally the idea of a divine curse. You know, people for years and years used to say that the saints were cursed. Some of you are saints fans and y'all used to say that for years and years. We're cursed. We're cursed. There, there's nothing that we can do to break this curse. It is something that is stronger than all of our might. And literally, that is the idea that God says here. He says, Abram, when you leave your country and go to a new country where you're going to be a foreigner without protections and without rights, you don't have to worry because I'm going to be with you. And if anybody says the slightest word against you, I'm going to curse them in a way that they are going to remove any ill will that they have towards you. God's already told Abram this, right? This isn't a, a question that Abram should have. This isn't some surprise that God is keeping hidden in his pocket. God said, Abram, this is what your life is going to look like. So when Abram, when the famine came and he had to leave Canaan and go to Egypt, he should have immediately remembered, God is going with me and God has told me that if anybody in Egypt does anything ill toward me, he's going to curse them. So I don't have to tell people that my wife is my sister. I can just trust God. And point one this morning is this. God keeps his promises. Simple. God keeps his promises. You can expand it. God keeps his word. All of it especially as we think about His Word being the Holy Scriptures that we have. God keeps the things that are written in here. He makes them come true. It's the same thing here for Abram. God promised Abram something, and this is the first time that God, after God has made that promise, that we see somebody harming Abram. 
Right? Pharaoh is the first person to slight Abram after God has made that promise to him. And immediately, the first time that somebody harms him, God steps in and sends plagues. Great plagues that make Pharaoh tremble so much that he sends, he sends him out as fast as he can get him out of there. And even sends people to protect him on his way out. Brothers and sisters, God keeps his promises. And I know immediately what a lot of our minds go to. Shame on you, Abram. Shame on you. God told you that he would protect you. God told you that he had a plan. God told you that he was in control. And what did you do? You came up with your own plan. You tried to do things your own way. Shame on you, Abram. But I can tell you this this morning. That when I start talking about knowing God's promises and needing to trust in them more and trust in yourself less, when I start talking about leaning on your own wisdom less, when I start talking about not making your own plans without consulting God, it starts to sound less like I'm talking to Abram and more like I'm talking to Zach. And I think if you're honest this morning, it sounds like I'm not talking to Abram, but I'm talking to a lot of you this morning as well. How many of you in the last week or the last month have made plans for you or your business or your family who have made plans without spending any time in prayer? Who have made plans without in any way consulting God's word, without in any way thinking, does this plan that I have for my family in any way line up with what God has called me to do as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife? Does it line up with just without any concern to what God would have us do? We make plans all the time. And so all of a sudden I can't say shame on Abram without also saying shame on Zach. Shame on me. Because I do this just as well as he does. His is just written for everybody to read. Point two, the only other point I have this morning. God's people often trust themselves more than him. Now, I can't tell you for sure that that's what happened here with Abram. It doesn't say if he had just forgotten this promise of God or if he didn't trust this promise. It's easy for us to think he just didn't have enough faith, but maybe that's not it. Maybe he didn't think back on this promise. But either way... It appears that Abram was willing to trust himself. He didn't consult God. It doesn't show him stopping and asking God to protect him when he's going into Egypt. No, Abram says, look, I've got this. I'm in control here. I can handle this situation. But I just want to make sure that we remember that it's not just Abram that does this. Because if any of y'all ever heard Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. But again, how many of us, when we're faced with a hard time, when we get a diagnosis, when we don't expect, when we hear something from work, when our kids have an announcement they give us that we didn't expect, how many of us immediately stop and think, all right, how can I fix this? What do I need to do next? Just disregarding Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Or Matthew chapter 6. 31 through 33 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And there's so many right there. 
Don't be anxious. Don't be nervous. Don't have a life full of stress. And how many of us does that speak to? Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. How many of our lives look like that, that people can look at us and say, look, that guy right there, he's seeking God and His kingdom and His glory and His righteousness above everything else. You know, when Jesus teaches about the two men, the one that built his house on the rock and the one that built his house on the sand, y'all know that story. You know, the point of that story is that if you want to have the sort of life that can make it through really tough storms and not be moved, that what you need to do, he began that in chapter 7, verse 24 of Matthew by saying this, that you need to hear these words of mine and do them. In Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And brothers and sisters, that go on and on and on. The commands and the promises and the teachings of God's Word, they go on and they go on and they go on. And they are so good. They're so good. A promise that you don't have to worry because God knows what you need. And that if you'll just seek Him, if you will follow Him, if you'll do what He's called you to, that He'll take care of all those needs, that you don't have to stress about them. Brother and sister, that's a good promise. That's good for my heart to hear that. The reminder that I don't need to seek money and toys and popularity and fame and treasures on earth, but I can work toward treasures in heaven, and God will keep them free from anything that could ever destroy them. No moth, no rust, nobody's ever going to steal them. Things that will never vanish, will never be taken away. If I would just work for those treasures in heaven, those eternal things, rather than things of this earth, that I don't have to worry about this rat race, that I can focus on Him and eternal things, that's a good promise brothers and sisters. And God makes all those things true. He doesn't just say them. They're not just empty promises. I know we live in a time of empty promises. People lie to us all the time. Politicians lie to us. Friends lie to us. Bosses lie to us. People, every time somebody tells us something, we have to think, why are they saying this? Do they really mean it or not? But brothers and sisters, when God says something, He makes that thing true. We can trust in Him. But even though I have the ear and the heart of the one that made everything, who could make everything vanish in an instant, I have his heart and I have his ear inclined that he would listen to everything I say, but how little time do I spend praying? I have his promises written so that I can read them, and how little time do I spend studying the Scripture so that I will know the promises of God and not try and make up my own plans. So this is what I pray happens from this story of Abram. I pray that we leave all this nonsense behind. I pray that you and I quit making our own plans without consulting God. I pray that you and I quit trying to figure it out on our own. I pray that you and I spend more time studying these promises... And memorizing these promises and memorizing these commandments so that we know what God wants us to do rather than trying to figure out what we want to do. And you know why I pray that we stop doing that? So that in the end we'll stop saying, man, why did I ever think that was a good plan? 
so that we'll quit finding ourselves in the ditches that we find ourselves in, so that we'll quit living lives full of regret, but we will be people that are following God and being led to the places that we should be doing the things that we should do. I'll give you the greatest example. The greatest example. Now, this is a good example. Abram thinking, hey, here's a good plan. Let me just say that my wife is my sister. That's a good plan. When God said, listen, I had everything taken care of. I had my own plan. That's a good example of a human with a bad plan versus God with a good plan. But I'll give you what, in my estimation, is the greatest example of this, and it's the gospel. If you just go around people that don't have any idea the Christian message, don't have any idea who Jesus is, and take a poll and start asking people, what's your plan to be able to get to heaven? I have no idea what all people would come up with. I'm sure there would be a lot of people that say, try to be a good person, try to give to the needy, try to be a good neighbor, try to do more good than bad. I'm sure that you'd hear a lot of those sort of things. But I can tell you this, I don't think that any of us left on our own without the influence of the Scriptures would say, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, how? what's your plan for getting to heaven? I don't think any of us would say, I think that God should leave heaven and come to earth and be a human and live a perfect life. And then he should die instead of me dying. And for everything I've ever done wrong, he should pay the penalty. He should take the wrath. He should take the judgment for everything I've done wrong. That way I can believe in him and get to go to heaven without having to pay that price. I don't think that's any human's plan. I don't think that that's in the wisdom of our minds. But you know what the gospel says? The gospel says not only is that a way to heaven, but that is the only way to heaven. Not only is that a plan, but that is the perfect plan. And that's why Jesus came. Brothers and sisters, the story of Abram, the story of the gospel, the story of Scripture is a story that says that we need to trust God more and trust ourselves less. So this morning I ask you, is that what your life looks like? Some of you have never trusted God in the first place. And I just want you to know that that is what I just told you. That is his great plan. He did leave heaven and he did come to earth. And he lived perfectly and he died perfectly. A sacrifice for everything you've ever done wrong and a sacrifice for everything that I've done wrong. That if you would come to him, that all of your wrongdoings would be taken away. All of your sins would be gone. All of your debt would be paid. That you would have a relationship with God. You'd have a better life now and you'd have a perfect life for all of eternity in heaven. But only if you've placed your faith in him. Only if you were trusting him. Only if you've given your life to him you've never done that, I pray that you'd be willing to this morning. That you, had, you would admit that you've seen what it looks like when you do it your way and it's not good. And that you want to do it his way. I also pray this morning if you're here and you've made that decision. That you are a Christian, that you are a child of God. But you're still way too often trying to figure things out on your own. That we would repent. God, brothers and sisters, that's a sin. It's a lack of faith when we try and do it on our own without following the one who's already made a perfect plan for us. This morning that we would say, God, I've spent way too much time trying to do it on my own. Father, help me. Help my unbelief. Help my lack of faith. Help me to trust you and follow you more.
because his plans are so good and they are so good for us. And if you're here, I don't know, I don't know if there's anybody here that's in this category, but I didn't want to leave you out just in case. If you're here and you are a Christian and you are following him perfectly, you're not trying to do it on your own, you're not doubting him, in everything that you do, you are completely following him. You're completely following his lead. You never find yourself like Abram saying, man, why did I try to do it on my own? But in every situation, you're following good and seeing how, following God and seeing how well it plays out. And this morning, what you need to do is to praise him. What you need to do is respond by joyfully saying, God, thank you for leading me so that I don't have to do it on my own. And the good news is that we could all be in that place. I want to invite you to stand this morning. And I don't know how the Lord has challenged you or what he's called you to do through this text. But I pray this morning that if there's some way that you need to respond, if you need to repent and pray, come and pray at these altars or pray where you are. If you have questions about accepting him as Lord and Savior, come. Let me explain that to you. Let me answer your questions. This morning, if you just want to sing out of joy because of how good the Lord is, we invite you to do that as well. But you do what the Lord leads you to. Brother Shane and the praise team lead us in a hymn of invitation.